For the love of dogs with Dennis Wolf. It is Friday again. I don't know how the weeks go so quickly, but uh, we have had some pretty warm weather. So I do want to just remind everybody out there, make sure that, like, literally, if it's in the 50s even, and it's a sunny day, and you don't leave your windows really far down, uh, obviously don't let your dog get out, um, you're really jeopardizing your dog's potential life and health. Um, the other day I happened to be out, it was 52 degrees, and I was in not so you know warm of an area. It was 52 degrees. The sun was not completely out, but it was partially sunny, partially cloudy. And um, I have a temperature monitor in my vehicle, so I can take it, and it has its own, it's very cool, has its own little, like, uh, jetpack, so it's got its own source, um, and as long as you're not in the mountains somewhere where there's no uh, cell reception, it's pretty handy. So I just wanted to see what would happen. I had my dog with me, but I had her in with me, um, working with an aggressive dog who didn't like other dogs in his area, and I brought Kira and Azari. Kira's my gold grand champion, and Azari's my... Uh, other gold, uh, sorry, she's not a gold yet, she's a grand champion. Um, and she is Wisp's daughter, and Kira is Wyatt's daughter. So I had the two of the girls with me. I let them run around uh, in a very pretty area up in lower New York State, which uh, you New York is called, and Brooklynites called New York State. It's not really New York State because upper New York State or upstate New York is more like Oh, I don't know, like Scipio, uh, Moravia, even Ithaca is kind of central. Um, you know, when you get up there, you get all the way up north um, towards like Buffalo or Erie. That's that's upstate. That's way upstate. But the, uh, the for this not to get lost uh, because of the location of it, it was 52 degrees. I had the girls with me. And you know the car got up to almost 90 when it was only 52 out. Now, I knew that because I had my girls with me, but I had my temperature monitor. It's a very interesting gadget. If you have to take your dog with you, but you can't take your dog to the final destination, you probably shouldn't take your dog with you. But if you do have to, for whatever reason, this is an interesting monitor. It's a very interesting gadget. And it's much better than some of the other ones where you can toss a cookie because this actually tells you the temperature. It tells you the ambient humidity if you purchase one with that feature. And it's great because it will either text or call you in case the temperature goes above a certain set point. So I usually set it for 75 or 80. And if it goes above 75, bang. So the moment it goes to 75, you'll get an alert. So that is something that's definitely out there, and there's so much great technology now that you should really look around. Um, another bit of technology I wanted to discuss briefly is the uh, GPS tracking. Now, do not think that a microchip that you get, Avid, Home Alone, whatever they are, Home Again, I always call them Home Alone just as a joke, um, because you're Home Alone waiting for your dogs to come home. The Home Again or any of these uh, microchips, these are not helpful at all in finding your dog. They do not transmit anything. All that they can tell is, is this your dog? If your dog shows up at a vet's office or a shelter or somebody turns dog in, um, but honestly, by that point, if you haven't found your dog before it winds up somewhere uh, a couple of weeks later, um, anything is better than nothing. But they do have some pretty cool devices now. I purchased um, three of them for my daughter uh, because she uh, rescued uh, another, you know, new dog, and uh, I love her to death, and I love her dogs, and I love everything that uh, that she does. Um, so I bought this, and it was very interesting uh, situation with this. And what happens is these GPS tracking units are, are cool because this it's too big to be injected under the skin. We're talking about things the size of a, the smallest one I've ever seen is the size of like a pill box. Most of them are the size of like a ring box or um, a very, very, very large matchstick box. Not the ginormous size, but that kind of, the one that they used to have at the Russian tea room before all the problems, and they used to have the cattlemen where I used to go with my dad. 
and my family um, in New York City, and they had a carriage ride. But they had these great big matchsticks, so they used to give them to people. Um, So basically, those are not going to be implanted in your dog. That goes on the dog's collar. But what's great about those is they can be activated, and they can beep or ping the same as radar or sonar would do. It can actually beep or ping you to let you know where your dog is. So because now you're using satellites, and there's all kinds of great technology. If we don't all blow each other up, the technology will stay there. We can actually use those satellites that are orbiting the Earth, and all you do is you need three coordinates, three coordinates, and bang, you'll know exactly where your dog is literally to the millimeter. So if you do have a dog who, well, likes to wander around, likes to run off, or you live somewhere near a you know, nature preserve, or if you're out west or midwest, uh, or in an area that, like where I live, where you know there's 500 acres here uh, with you know not so many houses, and if the dog disappears, it can go anywhere. Maybe they can't get out because it's a gated community, but they can definitely go pretty far. And the best thing to do, I mean, my dogs don't run away, but the best thing to do if you do have a dog who kind of doesn't know his limits or boundaries is to pick up one of these um, devices and you can put that into your phone. And this way, if, God forbid, the dog ever winds up running off or disappears, you know exactly where the dog is. Now, there's a little side benefit to this. That I said earlier If your dog runs off, how about if somebody steals your dog and doesn't know that that collar is a transmitter? Well, all of a sudden, you know where that thief is, and you can give the information to the police, and they can help you get your dog and potentially solve a crime. So those are pretty cool things, those devices, if you feel that your dog might need that. Um, They do make them in different sizes, but... There are some good ones. Look up on online, check to see the reviews. But I highly, highly recommend those types of things for anybody who might say, hey, yeah, I have a lab and he's unaltered and he wanders off to look for girls. Um, You know, we live in the hills in Kentucky. Yeah, you're definitely going to want to get one of these. And the prices have come down an awful lot. And sometimes it kills me. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I don't really have $150 or I don't really have, you know, $50. I don't have $200 for this dog or to purchase something or to do whatever it is with the dog, uh, buy the best vitamins, buy the best food. You are the one who found the dog, right? You made that decision to find that dog, to get a dog. If you didn't think it out that, yes, these animals cost money. You should have insurance, health insurance. Uh, WISPA is, I am proud to announce, she's down to only two cancers because her lymphoma responded remarkably well. We didn't think she was going to be alive this week, let alone in complete remission from her lymphoma. So I have Trupanion Insurance. There's a couple of others that are good. I think this one's the best. Um, they have paid, oh, I think it's over $120,000 on WISPA so far. I'd say that's pretty good. So out of that, maybe I had to pay 20000 and they paid $120,000. i will take that. So the insurance is great, and I want to go into that a little bit today because that really is important. If your dog gets sick, regardless of whether it's a year old, it's 5 years old, it's 10 years old, it's 15 years old, if there's something that can be done, for your dog, and you don't have the money, like, you know, who has an extra few hundred thousand dollars laying around. I mean, plenty of people do, but most people don't. And what would you do if it came to you having to spend $40,000 to, you know, keep your dog alive and, and to save him or her, or you had to put him to sleep because you didn't have enough money? Well, you know what? I tell people all the time, if you think that there's a likelihood that you couldn't afford a major bill with your dog or your cat or your pet, 
if you think that, like, wow, if my dog ever needed a $10,000 surgery, I wouldn't be able to handle it, get him insurance. You can call True Canyon. You can call Healthy Paws. There's a lot of really good ones. Well, I won't say there's a lot of really good ones. Nationwide's okay. But look at the plans. And my thought is always, you know, I can afford a thousand bucks, right? Anybody can afford a thousand bucks. It's not that. I mean, it's it's a lot. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like having a hundred and fifty thousand. So if you can afford, let's say a thousand dollars, start putting, let's say fifty dollars or seventy five dollars or a hundred dollars a month away as best you can. Put that money away into a bank account or into the into the drawer. And don't spend it. What you're going to do then is you're going to get the insurance with, let's say, a thousand dollar deductible. And then, if your dog, God forbid, has an emergency or needs surgery or breaks a leg or gets cancer or has a brain tumor that needs surgery, you'll have the insurance, which is dependent upon you know how old the animal is at um, at the time you sign up. And you can check with the different companies. The rates are a little different, varying, depending. So don't always go for the cheapest because sometimes the cheapest is the most expensive. So if they're covering 80%, but they're not covering a lot of the things, you're going to wind up paying a lot more with that company than you might pay with the company that covers 90% of everything, like like True Panion does. I just love them because I have so much experience with them, unfortunately. Um, but... The insurance, if you get a $1,000 deductible, it's not crazy expensive to have the insurance. And I look at it as come up with whatever the amount is that you feel comfortable that you say, oh, I could afford that. I could afford, you know, $500. Okay. Then get insurance with a $500 deductible and make sure that you, um, stash away the other $500, so at least you'll have that. Now, I, I wanted to go into emergency room fees because that's very important. Um, there are a couple of places, particularly one where I'm the behaviorist uh, for, oh gosh, I think it's about 500 referring DVMs and 600 plus rescues plus all the ones I deal with also on the side. Um, and I was reading their Yelp reviews, and if you look at almost every animal hospital that has a 24-hour emergency, they're more expensive. And if they have specialty doctors or critical care, criticalist, if they have board-certified surgeons, board-certified neurosurgeons, neurologists, board-certified internal medicine, board-certified this and that and the other thing, uh, anesthesiologists, whatever, those expenses are necessarily going to be more. Your local vet does a great job, but your local vet might be paying, you know, $11 or $12 an hour to an uncertified or unlicensed vet tech where a big specialty hospital, and and I'm not talking about every place, but this particular place I am, where they're paying $25, $30 an hour to their vet techs and they have, you know, 200 people working there and, you know, everything going smoothly and helping your, your pet. And they're paying, you know, critical care specials, board certified neurosurgeons and board certified internal medicine and ophthalmologists and uh, everything you can imagine. Well, your local vet, not that there's anything wrong, because I have several local vets, but that local vet is not paying the amount of money paying off an MRI machine, paying off a CT machine, uh, paying for, you know, new and the latest and greatest in operating room and uh, emergency room type, um, not just medication, but but uh, different appliances, different uh, types of machines and different types of modalities that can help your animal. So just think about if your dog came in and he had some kind of obstruction, your local vet might charge you six or $700 to shoot some chest radiographs and some abdominal radiographs and might 
let you go and you might get out with, you know, six or seven hundred dollars. That's fine. But what happens when your veterinarian says, oh, boy, I can't tell or, oh, there's something in there and it's too difficult for me to do. That's a great veterinarian who tells you it's too much for them. Anytime you're dealing with an expert and the expert actually says, wow, that's a, that's out of my, my skill set, well, even if it's only once in a lifetime, that's the one you want to go to because they're acknowledging that they know a lot, but they don't know everything, and they're going to refer you on to somebody who's even better. And I love that. I think that's always a wonderful thing when you hear that and you see that somebody who is talented is referring you out to somebody else. So that is really important. But think about the board-certified people, the veterinarians that they're paying and the licensed vet techs getting 25 or $30 an hour. Well, those people get paid more. They have, the, some of these places have 10,000 square feet. The one I am, where I am is 30,000 square feet. There's a building there. There are people there. There's a parking lot that has to be paved. There are costs in giving your dog or your cat the best veterinary care possible. But the reason I think that people Owners complain so much about, oh, the vet was so expensive. Do you ever go into the hospital yourself and have to just, even if you don't stay overnight, oh, you got three, four, five, six, seven thousand. I've seen twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars because they run a couple of tests, but you have health insurance. And because you have health insurance, you don't see the bill for thirty thousand. You see the bill that, oh, I have to pay six hundred. So you say, well, wow, it only costs 600 for me. Right, but if you don't have pet insurance, then what happens is you're paying and fronting the brunt of that entire bill. And I'm not saying it's easy because it's most certainly not easy. But that's why I say to you, if you feel that you would not be able to give your pet the best of the best of care because of a financial issue, then get yourself pet health insurance. If you never use it, then great. But if you're like me, I think Wyatt, I know, was I think $132,000 plus that, he, that was reimbursed for him. Um, I know Fallon was at least seventy-five dollars or $80,000. Um, Wispa is over $120,000 right now. That's reimbursed. Uh, Willow was... Uh, pre-pet health insurance before, and she cost me probably $70,000 to get her the diagnoses and everything and all the testing. I wish I had the insurance back then for her. But what happens is people complain about the cost of the vet care at these specialty hospitals when it's really that you just don't have health insurance. It costs what it costs, an MRI machine for a dog is the same thing as an MRI machine for a human. So let's just look really quickly. We're going to do a little Google search right here. I'm going to ask, how much does an MRI machine cost? All right. So how much does uh, an MRI machine? Um, and let's just see. So what, uh, you know, how much would that be? Because let's say if an MRI machine costs a lot of money, Let's say uh, we're still looking, still looking. An MRI is 400 to 3,500, but, um, oh, $2.5 million. So $1.9 to $2.5 million, and Tesla's coming out with one. That's $1 million to $1.5 million. So right now, if your veterinarian has an MRI machine, he is, or she has probably been paying it off little at a time between 1.9 and 2.5 million dollars. And if you think about that, um, that a high-end uh, state-of-the-art MRI machine that's giving you really detailed results, it's $3 million. Well, guess what? Go to your local vet. They're going to do some radiographs, and you're going to find out whatever you can, but you're not going to have that knowledge. 
And that's the problem. I mean, and these things, you know, don't really, you know, last forever. They might last, you know, maybe if they maintain them, they maybe last 10 years. But, you know, who wants to put out a million? I mean, can you imagine putting out a million dollars or two million dollars in order to um, to just purchase one machine? And that's really, really important because if you don't understand whatever, you know, you did and, uh, you know, you start looking at things um, a little bit more reasonably and a little bit more objectively, stop blaming your veterinarian, your emergency vet. If it's a vet who has a lot of high-end equipment and it's not that they're charging you so that they can pay it off, but how can they honestly pay it off? if they don't use the machine. So some places absolutely will just push whatever test, but the place that I have, where I am, and several of the other places I really like, they'll just give you an option. And if you're complaining that, you know, oh my God, they charged me $3,000 for an MRI machine, then, um, you know, you have to, uh, (laughs) I think, you really have to just consider, you know, go get yourself health insurance for your for your pet and give it a shot. You can always cancel it. But for me personally, it's been a godsend and a lifesaver because easily with my dogs, I've easily gone over $300,000, easily, probably closer to 400000 And when I think back and I say, wow, you know, when my dog needed to be in the hospital for nine days and the insurance company paid it and it would have been, you know, an $18,000 bill. I mean, well, how many people were working for that $18,000 for for all that time? And, but it's great to be able to actually think about that and say to yourself, ah, okay. You know, it makes sense why it's expensive. It's expensive for human medicine. As a matter of fact, some of the things for animals, are less expensive because a lot of things go by weight or size. So if you're getting, let's say, a CT scan or an MRI scan uh, for your dog and you have a Great Dane, obviously it's going to take a lot longer because there are a lot more cross-sections because it's a lot bigger than if you have a Maltese or a Chihuahua. A Maltese might be $500 for an MRI and a Rhodesian Ridgeback might be you know, 3000 for an MRI and a Great Dane might be 4500 for an MRI. But it's based on how much and how many films they have to take and what exactly they have to find out. Then it usually gets read by a board-certified radiologist if you have a good place. So, Or maybe two, or a pathologist if, if you're having like a fine needle aspirate or a biopsy done. So I know it seems really expensive, but it's really not. It's just that you have to think about it to yourself and say, can I handle that? Can I handle an injury for my dog if I had to pay $20,000 tomorrow? And if the answer is yes, God bless you. If the answer is no and you don't have care credit or something, which you should prepare ahead of time, if you don't have the ability to do that and to pay that whatever deposit is required, you're going to lose your dog. Is that really what you want? I don't think so. So think about insurance instead of whining and complaining that everything's expensive. Listen, gasoline prices just went up, right? Everybody's complaining. What what good is it doing us? It's doing nothing. It's doing us no good whatsoever. So stop complaining. I'm not a complain kind of gal. I'm more of the just at eh, whatever, let's go. Let's move forward. So we're going to do that right now. We're going to move forward. So one of the other little things that I wanted to discuss um, is, you know, let's see if we're able to try to help each other. I I find in this day and age, it just seems that since this whole thing worked, uh, worked the the way it is now with uh, uh, all the the people who are um, ne'er do wellers, ne'er, you know, seeing things and complaining and blaming. You know, we all we know is it's wrong to kill civilians. It's definitely wrong to kill 
pregnant women, babies, children. It's wrong to kill anybody. Well, I shouldn't say that there's a distinction in the Bible about killing versus murdering. It's not, it's not against the law, so to speak, to kill somebody. It's against the law to murder somebody. There's a difference. It's interesting. But anyway, so as I not to digress too much, the goal for all of us should be to be kind. Be kind. And exactly what we learned in kindergarten, the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. If you are a jerk and you're trying to hurt people, don't be surprised when they come back and bite you and they destroy you because you deserve it. But if you're kind to people, if you do good things, if you're honest and honorable, if you're loving and caring, if you do good things for other people just because you do, not for any other reason than you just want to be good because it feels good. It really does feel good to be able to do things for other people. It feels great when we get to play service dogs. It feels phenomenal when we get to see stories of families from, you know, years before who were able to do crazy things and do things that they never thought they could do with one of our Merlin's Kids service dogs by their side. And it is really pretty cool. And it's a lot of work to receive one of the dogs. We require that people put a lot of time into it. Um, we, we have a 10 to 12-week training course. And we also have hands-on training for 40 additional hours for the family and for the recipient so that everybody can kind of learn the cues. And then we're on the phone a lot with you guys the first two weeks every day. Then we'll see you. We'll meet somewhere to work on different, uh, you know, different things that need to be done, um, any little training issues that you're having. Um, but one of the things is that's very, very interesting, and I try to be very kind in delivering the news. What happens when we or, let's say, you know, ABC Service Dog Corporation, that doesn't exist, and ABC Service Dogs really train a good dog. They give you the dog, they teach you what to do, and then you don't do what they're telling you to do. You're not taking the dog out. You're not allowing the dog to uh, to do the things and continue to do and train on alerts. Um, you stop doing everything that we taught you to do. Well, guess what's going to happen? You got it. That's exactly what's going to happen. The dog is going to become untrained. You're going to you're going to ruin the dog. And I tell people at all time, please don't wreck our dogs. But they do. And let's say the dog barks at somebody. Well, if the dog happens to bark at somebody, you correct it. You know what to do. Give Miss Shushan a poke and stand in front of him and back the dog up. Put Then put your back to the person you're protecting. It's very, very simple, and it works because it's behavior. Obedience doesn't work in behavioral cases, and I'll tell you why. Obedience just changes the body position, but it doesn't change the brain. Behavior is in the brain. So if a dog bites somebody, it's not that the dog's mouth randomly jumped up and bit somebody. It's that the dog's brain told the dog's mouth to jump up and bite someone. So the brain is controlling all things behavioral. And that's why if you have a dog with behavioral issues and you've tried every local yokel dog trainer you could find, and they all said, oh, this is the worst dog I've ever seen. Well, that's telling you something. Run. Run fast. Run far. Because if they're saying, well, that's the worst dog I've ever seen, all I know is when I had my first cancer, um, and my second, but more of my first, when I had my first cancer, I was really young. I remember going into Dr. Burton Lee. I remember going in for my chemo and my surgeries and all that. And uh, making decisions, and I remember his saying to me about what the percentage of chance that I had of survival. And I remember looking up at him and saying, well, that's a whole lot better than, than, you know, none. I said, you're giving me a really good chance. I might have 30% chance of making it. Well, you could give me 1% because if one person out of a million people makes it, why shouldn't that one person be me? 
And he laughed, which was interesting because apparently he never laughed. But he laughed and he said, you're going to be fine. I said, I know I am. I'm not going anywhere. So when your mind is incredibly strong, your body will also become strong. People ask me all the time, no matter, Janice, how do you do it? How come, like, no matter what happens, no matter what anybody throws at you, you always land on your feet. You always make it because I love what I do. I love it. And when I see somebody who thinks they're smart, but isn't, but they think they're smart, oh, it's just so fun because you sit there and it's like watching someone try to pick the wings off a hornet without getting stung. You're going to get stung, genius. So I think a lot of times people mistake that sign of kindness for a sign of weakness. And they don't realize that, you know, you don't, you know, the old adage about let a sleeping dog lie. Well, if a dog is sleeping and you wake it up, you know, you may have the, the problem there. But what I say is don't let the dog sleep in the first place. If that's what you're, if that's who your target is, your enemy is, don't let that enemy sleep. You let that enemy be on alert constantly so they burn down and they burn out. Um, and that's kind of the same thing as when you're working with a dog. You don't meet for a half hour because that dog can keep his energy up for that half hour. What he's not going to be able to do is keep that energy up for two or three hours. And when we start diminishing the energy of the dog and the dog starts kind of getting tired or bored with what we're doing, that's when we can teach him. We can't teach him when he's not ready to learn. Everything goes on the timeline of the dog and what the dog is ready for and when the dog's ready for it. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with from Shelter Dog to Service Dog. So don't go away. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. And we are talking about service dogs. It's so nice when we're able to talk about great stuff like how shelter dogs can be turned into service dogs. But I do want to talk about something. People get the wrong dog the same way as people marry the wrong person. And it happens all the time. I can't even tell you how often that happens, but it's constant. Only about one in every hundred dogs has what it takes to be a service dog. So you think about what does a service dog require? What is a dog in general? You want it to be well-behaved. It has to be healthy. So we've got a lot of different aspects. So you have, let's go for physical health. The dog can't have any of its own health conditions because if it has health conditions, then it needs a service dog. So then your service dog that takes care of you, you have it has to have its own service dog to take care of it. So that's not good. So that knocks out a good amount of dogs that don't have good health or have congenital issues or like all these doodle things that we have, everybody buys, um, especially the golden mixes with the poodle because everyone's, oh, well, you get a mixed breed that's healthier. No, 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 no. If, if you bred a German Shepherd and a Corgi, you have a better chance of getting degenerative myelopathy than if you do if you have a well-bred German Shepherd or a well-bred Corgi, because if you have a well-bred German Shepherd or a well-bred Corgi, you are going to have a breeder who, a good show breeder, is going to run screenings on them to make sure that you don't have that problem. So there are a lot of health things. Lately, I've been seeing so much with Addison's. Uh, a woman I know, young woman, has uh, Bouvier's. And she's had, her dog has uh, has Addison's, and it was from a breeder, uh, but the breeder didn't check. And, I mean, you know, you got to be careful with these things. Yes, things can pop up, but there's no reason for a dog to have something like that. It, you know, seizures and eye issues, like I was saying about poodle mixes, a lot of poodle mixes, a lot of them, wind up having juvenile cataracts because poodles, that's one of the few things they do have, they have juvenile cataracts and golden retrievers can have juvenile cataracts. So you take two breeds that tend to possess the similar um, uh, genetic defects 
you're breeding a defect to a defect. You're getting a defect. So there are a lot of things health-wise that I would I would argue that a well-bred dog, puppy, even if it's a mixed breed, but yeah, I know it sounds strange, well-bred mutt, but if you take somebody who has a really, really well-bred, let's say, standard poodle that has been tested and has hips, elbows, thyroid, um, bear, surf, everything, cardiac, and has everything tested, and then let's say the golden retriever that you're breeding it to is also, you know, like let's say a champion, grand champion dog, and it's got hips, elbows, thyroid, bear, surf, all the different genetic um, testing. Well, then that resulting puppy, you know if it has any issues. So that's a whole lot different than the average person who goes to a pet store or a quote-unquote breeder, um, and the breeder breeds garbage dogs who, um, you know, wind up with Addison's or Cushing's or juvenile cataracts or heart issues or thyroid issues or whatever. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes that happens. Now, certain things can pop up just randomly, even though you test for them and it's never been in your line. I mean, that's genetics. That's just the nature of the beast. But you want to start out at least with an animal who is going to be healthy. And remember, you're putting a lot of time and potentially a lot of money into this animal. You want to make sure you're going to have that pup for a long, long, long time. So let's make sure the dog is healthy. So you're going to run all your tests on that. Now, another thing that's really important is obviously that the dog has a good sense of smell or that the dog cares. And I call that drive. That's drive. So that the dog wants to do a job. He wants to train. You don't want the dog who's a couch potato and looks and goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, you go. I'm going to hire on me or sitting on the couch and, oh, yeah, you go. And, oh, I'm going to stay here and just lay on the couch and keep it from levitating to the ceiling. Well, that isn't going to be a dog who's going to be a service dog. A service dog has to care and has to want to have that drive, want to be with you, want you more than it wants anything else in the world. And when you find that dog who has that drive and is healthy, it's definitely setting you both up for success. Now, something else a dog. Dog cannot be bad with other animals. It can't be very high prey drive. If a dog potentially is a high prey drive, even though you say, oh, but I, I'm never going to see anybody else because I'm just going to bring my service dog on the plane. I never think I'm going to see anybody either. But when I fly, although I haven't flown since COVID, but when I used to fly all the time, it was rare that I didn't see somebody that was a dog in the airport. And generally speaking, the other dog was barking at my dog, whether it was Wyatt or Savannah or Whisper or Kira or, or Bruiser or whoever it was. The other dog's barking at my dog. My dog's sitting there or standing there laying down doing nothing, and the other dogs are reacting. That is not a service dog. If your dog is not good with other animals and also not too friendly with other animals where the dog sees another dog goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, I got to go see that. I could be a long-lost relative. So you you need a dog who is, uh, is basically a superhero. The dog has to be physically healthy. The dog has to have a very confident demeanor, so it can't be afraid of things. That's also one of the most important things, because you never know where that dog is going to go. The dog might go, you know, onto an airplane. You might have a lot of turbulence, and if the dog gets scared, he might have an accident, right? He might, you know, have diarrhea or something. So you want a dog who's, who's calm and confident, but not overly dominant. And definitely not fearful. Um, I have this great picture that I actually posted on Merlin's Kid Service Dogs. And you can go on Facebook, Merlin's Kid Service Dogs, and you can look at the picture of um, somebody in O'Hare Airport. I'm, I'm sorry, in, in, uh, in um, oh, I'm blanking out, in Boston, Logan, Logan International. And she, they have one of my service dogs, one of our service dogs at Merlin's Kids. And this service dog, quote unquote, had a muzzle. It was obviously a pit mix. 
um, which, you know, I, I hate when people do that because pit mixes and pits get a bad enough wrap already. You don't need to have a dog in a muzzle in an airport in a fake vest with a fake ID tag hanging off of it. And why did the dog need a muzzle? Obviously, dog's aggressive. So that is not a service dog. I'm sorry. I don't care if it does the best job in the world. That is not a service dog. A service dog isn't like, oh, check any of these boxes. A service dog is check every single one of those boxes. So when you're walking around with a pink vest that says service dog on it, with a fake ID tag hanging down from it on the wrong leash, and you're walking through an airport on a long leash with your dog in a muzzle and it says service dog. Seriously, who do you think you're fooling? What a horrible, horrible person you are. That's terrible. And how about if somebody had a service dog? If I'm walking by with my service dog, or sometimes people bring a pet on the plane and they pay a fee, and your dog goes and tries to attack my dog, or your dog tries to attack my child. Well, if your dog needs a muzzle, it's obviously not the right temperament to be a service dog. Um, there was this, uh, this I'll, I'll be kind, dolt, uh, imbecile, um, who tried to pawn off a, uh, his pit bull as a service dog. The dog was not trained for anything, and the dog was very aggressive. Uh, I know this because I know someone who had a quote-unquote play date with the dog, and the dog, this this man's dog, attacked viciously the lady's dog, and the lady's dog was traumatized and seriously has PTSD still to this day. Now, a service dog isn't going to be aggressive. That's not a service dog. A service dog, we're not talking police trained, patrol dog. An assistance dog is a dog who helps people or animals to do something better, okay, more easily. But a service dog, as we talk about and we hear it in the news, people are constantly confusing them. They don't understand the difference between a service dog and an emotional support dog and a therapy dog. So I love the ones where it's like, oh, you know, our service dog that we've had for six years, you know, our service dog, you know, ran away and got hit by a car. Well, why did your dog, your service dog leave you? A service dog shouldn't want to leave you. And we're not talking about maybe, you know, it's the 4th of July or it's New Year's Eve and somebody right there is, uh, you know, your dog's not in harness or in vest and maybe somebody's blowing up fireworks and stuff. Okay, I can understand that, but not in a public place that you can prepare for, like an airport, a restaurant, a gym, whatever it is. The goal is that every dog who's going to be a service dog has to pass every single test. The dog should be good with other people, but not overly interested. The dog should be good with other animals, not overly interested. The dog should be of good health, of good temperament of the right size, and you better keep that dog super clean. You better overbathe that dog, not quite, but you better make sure that dog stays really clean. I saw disgusting. It was like a husky mix. I, I can't even say it was a pretty dog. I've never seen so much hair. It must have been like half husky and half Pyrenees or something. I've literally never seen so much hair on a dog. There were clumps of hair coming out of the dog. And I know they shed out in patterns like that. But what does it take to get yourself a Furminator or a, or a coat rake and rake the, the, the crud out of your dog before you bring him to the airport? How about a bath? Okay, here, you go away once a year. Give your dog a bath. Bring him to a groomer so that that hair isn't wafting all over the place. And if somebody does have an allergy, let's be sensitive to them. It doesn't preclude or prevent us from uh, having our service dog there, but it's just common decency, common courtesy for us to do that. Like, let's keep our dog clean, which is a reason that most of the Merlin's kids service dogs have shorter coats or coats that can be easily maintained and don't require a massive amount of grooming and, and shaving and shearing and, and shedding because those are the issues 
that obviously it's another thing with a service dog. Service dog has to be able to be healthy. It has to be able to be confident without being dominant. The service dog has to be clean and uh, also um, well in, in good heel, in good uh, health, in good weight. Um, if your dog is obese, like this fake service dog the other day at Logan uh, was, um, if your dog is supposed to be ideal weight 50 pounds and your dog is 70 pounds, don't stick a fake service vest on him because it's really going to look bad. A service dog, if you've gotten a really legit service dog, whatever organization should have spoken to you about ideal weight and not letting your animal get obese or too thin. Um, I don't mind if dog is a little on the thin side, like show weight, but I don't want a dog to be fat because when a dog is fat, it puts more pressure and strain and stress on the joints and the tendons and the ligaments, and it's harder for them, uh, just like it would be with a person who's, who's very overweight. If you're overweight, you can't go up the steps as quickly. You can't last in the heat as well. There are just certain things that happen when you are, um, you know, are overweight. So for a dog to be overweight, and especially if it has a really heavy coat, you're asking for problems. You're asking for your dog to get heat prostration or heat stroke. So let's just kind of think about that, right? Makes sense. It all makes sense. Okay. So um, we have a couple more minutes, and I wanted to go through um, kind of my parting section, um, which is learning a little bit more about a different things that we need to do for maintenance or care or behavior for our dogs. Toenails. How many of you have the best dog in the world? Raise your hand. I can see it. All right. You. I bet your dog is perfectly clean. You take it to the groomers all the time. The dog does a great job. Your toenails are short. The hair is good. You brush the dog. I'm not talking to you and trying to shame you. I am trying to talk to the other people who let their dog's toenails not just get really long. Like my dog's toenails can get long because if, you know, you have a backache or something, you can't do, you know, all the dogs. But then you have a groomer come in or you bring the dog to the vet to um, clip the nails down. The reason that having long toenails is bad it's not just if you go into the show ring, but most of you aren't ever going to do that. It's more really the fact that when you have the toenails being long, think about, put your fingers out, like your hands, your, your palms, face down, and look at your hands, look at your fingers, okay? If you're looking at your hands now, put your fingertips on a table and go to stand up. Now. So keep your fingertips there. So when you stand up, you see how if you were standing on your five fingers on your, well, your, you wouldn't have your dew claw, which would be your thumb. But if you were standing on, on those or putting those five fingers on each hand and then you stand up, all of a sudden, it's really hard to keep that thumb on the ground because it lifts up. Well, that's the same thing that happens when you let your dog's toenails get overly long, it actually causes the dog to get arthritis. It causes the dog to stand in the wrong way. And it also causes the dog pain sometimes. Because if you have a dog who, you know, has long toenails and he's very straight in his pasterns, or like a German Shepherd that has more angle, if your tone, the toenails are long, it changes the way the dog moves. It's much, much harder. It's not good for the dog. And it's a quick fix. If you don't have something like one of those petty paws or a nail grinder or something like that, then take your dog, let's say every other week, take the dog either to your veterinarian if they'll do it for you or PetSmart or Petco. That's one of the things that's great when you do go and bring uh, your dog to a groomer. The groomer will generally take care of their ears, their nails, and all that for you. So if you can do that, 
That's great. Even if you're only doing the toenails once a month and you're walking on pavement or concrete, um, because if you're walking on pavement or concrete, the puppy's toes, the toenails are going to naturally get shorter just because it's friction and it's causing them to basically be filed down as they're walking. So that's a really, really important thing because that can later in life for the dog cause it to have arthritis either in the shoulder or OCD lesions, or it can also cause problems later on as well, which is kind of scary um, in, in the limbs being able to function where your dog might wind up with such severe osteoarthritis or be more prone to getting uh, a bad effect, negative effects of degenerative myelopathy or other things. So it really is important, and, and people always are like, Toenails, really? Yes. Toenails are that important. They really are that important. So if you guys, if you can't do it yourself, then make sure you get somebody who can do it. You know, it's crazy how quickly an hour goes, but I love all of you, and I love talking to you and and trying to, uh, in a nice didactic and fun way, though, I try to teach you. I try to imbue knowledge into you so that you can then take that knowledge and you can go on and move on and teach other people because that's really what it's about. We need to teach each other how to do things so we can all be better often and you. And God bless all the people in Lithuania who, I'm sorry, Lithuania, there you go, in uh I'm sorry. In the, I was just looking at a map with a friend of mine. We were looking at Latvia and Lithuania. Um, same area, though. God bless the people of the Ukraine. Uh, we are rooting for you, shooting for you, uh, not literally but figuratively, and uh, we pray that um, the Russian people take over um, with sanity of their uh, <laughs> the people who are in their higher-ups. Um, it's just, there's just no reason to kill children and babies and women and animals and and even, you know, the dads, but certainly not civilians. So we wish that entire area, Bosnia, Latvia, um, you know, the the Serbian areas and the Baltics, and they're all in that area. Um, And we just pray that they're all okay and that this craziness stops soon. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Bye.